I want to bring in a witness who testified recently in this fraud trial. That's former Trump attorney Michael Cohen. And he is the host of Mea Culpa and uh, Political Beatdown, the podcasts. And he's also the author of the book Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice Against His Critics. So, Michael, what do you think about all of these little admissions that Trump made while he was in court today testifying about his finances? Yeah, it's uh, really fantastic that Alina Haba came running down the stairs for her few minutes of um, news time to tell everybody that, of course, Donald was brilliant, that the best witness out there, and that they schooled me. Why they brought me back into the, you know, the um, conversation today, I'm not 100% sure. But they decided to say that she schooled me. What they should be doing is not schooling me. They should be schooling Donald in terms of how to respond and act appropriately in a court of law. That's what they really should be schooling to, him on. to that very point, I mean, <laughs> you said just this morning that you expected this to turn into a circus, and you are right in a certain sense. Uh, but a source also says that Trump's legal team is actually happy about how today's testimony went. Do you think that they should be? First of all, that's a lie. Um, yes, well, let me start with the first part. Yes, um, I came on the show at 8 a.m. this morning, and um, I kind of refuted my friend Anthony Scaramucci, who thought that Donald would behave better. Uh, knowing Donald as well as I do, I countered that point and said the second they started to talk about his finances, his net worth, and they put, you know, they put him into a corner that the only thing he knows how to do is to lash out. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, I mean, most of the time I happen to be right only because, not because I'm clairvoyant, I'm certainly not Nostradamus. Uh, I happen to know the guy well enough to know how he's going to act. As far as whether or not they think that they won this thing, they think that they're doing great, they know that they're not except they have a client that doesn't care as long as they keep responding the way that he wants them to respond. So if he tells them, I did great, I did great, all of a sudden they start to parrot, Donald, you did great, you were brilliant today. This is all about basically patting him on the back and making him and stroking his ego. That's all this is about. He knows he lost this matter already. It's just a matter of how much. It's a matter of the disgorgement that they're going to be able to show. You what know, he's looking to do is to figure out how to play this, since he lost already in the court of law, how to play this to a court of public opinion. And he thinks that he's doing well, and he's going to try to ride this same streak. Look, with all due respect to media, think about it. 24-7 since he took the stand has been nothing but Donald Trump. We have a war going on right now in Israel against Hamas. We have another war that we're working with, Ukraine against Russia. And what are we talking about? Donald's baby antics? Well, Come look, on. I mean, I, I think that, as you know very well, sometimes people who work for Trump, they have to play the hand that they're dealt. And in this case, they have a client who is angry. So if their best bet is to try to push for an appeal based on the idea that the judge is biased. Do you think that Judge Engeron maybe fell a bit into a trap today by actually responding to Trump's provocations uh, on the witness stand? No, for, no, 
Oh, no, no way. Judge Ngoron has been perfect um, as a judge in this matter. Again, I sat there for two days, not four hours like Donald, who lost his, his concentration and started acknowledging all the things that they probably sat with him for hours on, say, do not, whatever you do, do not acknowledge that you did this or do not acknowledge that you did that. Instead, he came right and said, yeah, yeah, I was involved with it uh, to some extent and so on, which, by the way, is a lie. He was involved in all aspects, um, something that, again, I testified to. I think Judge Ngoron is absolutely setting the record perfect to avoid any um, appealable issues because there are no appealable issues. This is really a case of documentary evidence coupled with corroborating testimony. Speaking of testimony, Ivanka Trump is set to testify on Wednesday. What do you make of the fact that prosecutors left her as their final witness this week? Well, remember that Ivanka is not part of the case. Uh, she was uh, time barred based upon the statute of limitations. Why they put her last, I don't really know. She could have gone first. Don could have gone last. Eric could have gone last. Donald himself could have gone last. It makes no difference. They already lost early on the motion for the liability part. He has been found guilty of fraud. That's, that's done. Now, again, it's all about the disgorgement. Ivanka will come in and... She will testify honestly and truthfully. I believe that because she has a lot to lose. In fact, she has a lot more to lose than even her father in this case, because, you know, as we've been saying, Donald overinflated his assets uh, quite substantially. All right, Michael Cohen, good to have you uh, on this particular topic. Thanks for being here. Good to see you, Abby. And few things animated the former president more than the discussion of Mar-a-Lago's worth. He complained on the stand about the judge's citation that put the resort's value at $18 million. That was based on a Florida tax appraisal record. Now, Trump insists that it's worth well over a billion dollars. And joining me now to help us just sort through this argument is someone who knows quite a lot about Palm Beach real estate values, and that's Jeff Lichtenstein. He's the owner of Echo Fine Properties in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. He's also the author of How Making a Sandwich Can Change Your World. Uh, so, Jeff, Trump, when he was asked if he believed that Mar-a-Lago was worth a uh, billion dollars, he said, I think between a billion and a billion and a half. Now, a lot of people have said, okay, the $18 million figure, that is far too low. But that, that is a huge range to go from $18 million to a billion and a half dollars. What's the reality check on that? Well, as real estate agents, we can puff so we can inflate the value. So I can say, hey, Abby, your house is the best ever when maybe it is, maybe, maybe it isn't. But he has a point and he doesn't have a point. So Rush Limbaugh's place recently sold for 155 million, and that was 2.3 acres. And then also the Surfside uh, place was just sold for six, uh, for 120 uh, million dollars, and that was two acres. So that's 60, uh, that's 60 million dollars an acre. So if you look at Mar-a-Lago, that's 17 and a half acres. So 17 and a half acres at 60 million dollars, you're above a billion dollars. The problem is that it's the land in both Rush Limbaugh's case and in the Surfside case, they're buying the land, and that's really the best use of the property. So you'd have to bulldoze Mar-a-Lago. 
and you can't do that because it's a National Historic uh, Register. So it's like you can't bulldoze a Statue of Liberty or uh, the Hearst Castle. And a developer would love to go in there and, and uh, build condos and develop it, but it's, it is what it is. And that's a really key point. It's one that comes up in this case. So the New York Attorney General says that Trump came up with this original valuation of $738 million by claiming falsely that it was an unrestricted property, that it could be sold and developed for residential use. What are the limitations on what you can do with a property like Mar-a-Lago? Well, from what I understand, it it, it, it is what it is. It, it can be used for the resort that it is, and, and he can live there. So if we were, if, if you want me to sell it, um, I could get a buyer tomorrow who would buy it for a billion dollars if they could develop it and uh, and totally develop it. But but you can't. So it's stuck um, with its best with its best use. So it's probably in the in the range really of more in the three fifty to four hundred million dollar range. There's been plenty of properties that have sold above a hundred million, but going over a billion dollars or seven hundred eighty nine billion million, that's uh, that's that's too much. Well, we'll take your word for it, Jeff Lichtenstein. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thanks for having me, Abby.